Uh, good morning, everybody. We, uh, we are starting a new series today called Five Easy Steps to Wreck Your Life. So if your life is going pretty well, we are about to help you wreck it. We're going to give you all that you need to wreck your life. This morning, we're actually going um, to give you some real easy step-by-step instructions on how to commit adultery. So if you are wondering how to do that, um, we're going to clear that up for you this morning. How many people here this morning are currently married or you hope to be married one day? Raise your hand. Okay, so most people in the room. Now, how many people... Go ahead, keep your hands up, please. Keep your hands up. You're married or you hope to be married one day. How many people, just keep your hands up if you are planning on having an affair at some point? Just keep your hands up. Okay, well, um, the facts are that up to 65% of husbands and 55% of wives will commit adultery by age 40. Those are the statistics. So even though... You may not be planning on this. It does, it does happen quite often. The reality is that we don't need any help. Um, and I'm joking this morning, but we don't need any help committing adultery. We, we seem to be doing a pretty good job of that all on our own. Um, but before I explain to you, of course, I'm going to... I'm going to be pretty sarcastic this morning in a few times, but, um, but as, we, as I explain to you how to commit adultery, um, I want to at least make sure that we're on the same page to begin with, um, with several things. I want to clarify several things according to what the Bible says. I want to define marriage for you according to what the Bible says, because if you don't know how the Bible defines marriage, then it's hard to um, define adultery. Um, and, you know, some of you are going to hear me teach this morning and you're going to say, this guy is really old-fashioned. And, you know, um, if believing everything that this book teaches makes me old-fashioned, then call me old-fashioned all you want. I believe this book, no matter what it says, no matter how much it goes against our cultural norms. Um, so, in Genesis 1.27, um, we get our first uh, glance at... Who we are before we understand marriage, God created man in his own image. So God made us in his image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. And Jesus quotes this verse um, in Matthew 19. And then along with this verse, Genesis 2, 24, man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So this is where we get our definition of marriage. It's where Jesus got his definition of marriage, and he quotes this in Matthew 19. One man, one woman, united together to be one flesh. And that's our definition of marriage, and that's Jesus' definition of marriage. Um, so it is a union between one man and one woman, where they literally, in God's eyes, become one. Um, secondly, God defines marriage as a covenant. Malachi 2 and Proverbs 2, uh, 16 and 17, 
for example, call marriage a covenant. Proverbs 2, 16 and 17 says, So you'll be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. So what is a covenant? A covenant, a definition of a covenant is an arrangement between two parties involving mutual obligations. Um, the opposite of a covenant, of a covenant marriage, would be what is happening right now in some European countries where they, um, they issue a marriage license and then the marriage license has an expiration date. Kind of like getting your driver's license. Um, after about four years, the, the license expires. And if you don't want to be married anymore, you just don't renew it. Um, and that's not at all covenant. Marriage covenant is... Um, Something that is lifelong, it's not to be broken. So, that's what the Bible defines as marriage. And adultery then is a breach of this covenant. It is breaking the covenant of marriage. And um, we oftentimes call it an affair, and that just sounds so nice. But, the Bible calls it adultery. And in... um, in Exodus 20, 14, God, when he's giving the Ten Commandments, says, you shall not commit adultery. And just like Dawn was saying, um, God didn't give us commands. He didn't give us instructions so that we would be bound up by these rules that, that, that enslave us. He instructs us really to give us more freedom. He, he instructs us so that we can live rightly. And when we live rightly, we have more freedom. It's kind of interesting. There was a study done where they put these, um, these kids out on a playground. And there was no fence. There was no boundary markers. And they, and they observed to see how far they would run around and play. And they took note. And then they put up a fence. Boundaries. And they observed again. And what they found was that with the fence up, the kids actually went further out from where they were playing. They went further out. They had more freedom knowing what the boundaries were. It's interesting because we are much like that. We experience much more freedom when we understand and know God's design. Um, So God did say, you shall not commit adultery, and that's for our good. Um, and if, just to clarify, if, if, um, if you're not married, that means not having sex with anyone. So you have to, in order to have sex in God's design, it has to be within the context of marriage. And Jesus ups the ante even more in Matthew 5, in verses 27 through 32, when he says, You have heard... That it was said, you shall not commit adultery. So he's quoting Exodus 20. And he says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So what Jesus is constantly teaching, and not just here, but he's constantly teaching that sin is a heart issue. It's something that comes out of our hearts and that the root of it is there. And so in order to In order to deal with sin, we need to deal with our hearts. And the only person that can give us a new heart is Jesus. So, um, 
lust is actually a form of adultery according to Jesus. Just to look with lust. And lust, to give us a definition, is that desire for what is forbidden. What you don't have. That's what lust is. We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a little bit. Are you guys excited about this message? I can just tell that you're as fired up about it as I am. I really am. I think that you're going to um, enjoy it. If you're sitting on the edge of your seat right now, just relax. Um, so I'm going to give us five, five steps um, that if you'll follow these, you can be sure to commit adultery. And some of you are sitting here like, well, I could have taught this one this morning. I don't know why, um, why I'm even here. I know how to commit adultery. Um, here's number one. The first step to committing adultery is follow your heart. Follow your heart. And that's something that our, our world, our culture tells us frequently. That what steers your life, it needs to be your heart. And that the ultimate sin is to not follow your heart. That's what we hear. That's what's constantly, even in like children's movies and stuff, this is the lesson oftentimes is follow your heart. In other words, do what feels right. Do what feels right. If you'll just follow your heart, I promise you, you are well on your way to committing adultery. Following your heart is not God's plan. Um, if, you, if you follow your heart, your heart will deceive you. Your heart will lead you astray. God says in his word, in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all else, above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Who can understand the heart? Proverbs 28, 26 says, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. And Proverbs 21, 2 says, every way of a man is right in his own eyes. So you go, well, you know, I was just following my heart. I was just following my heart, and that's how I wound up where I am. And that's what I'm supposed to do, right? No. No, not according to God. We shouldn't follow our hearts. We should lead our hearts. If we follow our hearts, we will find ourselves in trouble. Because our hearts are desperately sick. Our hearts are deceitful. And the reason goes all the way back to the very beginning of this book, the very beginning of the Bible, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God. The first humans rebelled against God, and this curse of sin fell on all of us, on all of humanity, on everyone who would come after them. And because of the curse of sin, our hearts are wicked. And we don't like to hear that. If you're here this morning and you don't commonly sit in a church and hear preaching or don't read your Bible and you hear that your heart is wicked, then the first thing that happens is a guard goes up. You go, who are you to call me wicked? You don't know me. Well, let me start here. My heart is wicked. My heart is wicked. Sometimes I am floored by the way that I respond to things. 
by the thoughts that jump into my head, by the decisions I make, we are rebellious against God. We, not just you, me. We are. This is what God's word teaches. And if I follow my heart, I will go down the wrong paths. And I have. And I have the scars to prove it. So, the first step to ending up in an adulterous relationship is to follow your heart. The Bible tells us instead in Proverbs 3, 5 through 8, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on your own understanding. And that's where we have to lay pride down. Because pride says, I know what's best for me. Pride says, I got this figured out. I'll make my own decisions based on what I want. But that's not the best thing for us. The Bible says, don't lean on your own understanding. Instead, in all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. These are humbling words. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. There again, this is that good goodness that comes with following God. This isn't, this isn't enslavement. This isn't bondage. This is, this is refreshment. This is joy. Follow the Lord. Trust in the Lord. So instead of following your heart, the Bible says to follow Jesus. See, if I don't start this message explaining to you that Jesus is the answer to not have an adulterous relationship, then, then I fail because the rest of this just becomes good advice. And I'm not here to tell you good advice. I'm here to tell you good news. And the good news is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. And if, and if we want to avoid pitfalls, if we don't want to wreck our lives, the answer is Jesus. Jesus leading us, Jesus living inside of us. The Bible says that when we put our faith in him, our sins are forgiven. And he comes and he dwells within us. He lives within us. The mystery of the gospel is that Jesus comes and lives in us and lives out of us. And that is the only way, ultimately, that we can avoid certain pitfalls. So, if he is in you, he is leading you, then you can avoid all kinds of various sins that will end up wrecking your life. See, the gospel changes everything. The Bible says that we actually become a new person. The book of Ezekiel prophesied that when Jesus came, he would offer a way that we could get a new heart. You see, the problem, like I was saying, is that sin comes out of our hearts, the very core of who we are. Um, it, you can watch the news for just a little while and see 
really how evil we are, how evil we can be. It's because our hearts are desperately sick. I mean, I see the things that, that people are doing on the news, and I'm, I'm just, I'm still, I'm blown away. But I shouldn't be. Because if not for Jesus, then that, that could be me. I mean, we all have the capacity to do terribly evil things. But Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, didn't sin, died, took the penalty of our sin on himself, was buried, three days later rose from the grave to new life and offers us new life. We can be identified with him, we can have forgiveness through him, we can have new heart through Jesus. So that's the answer. We could stop the sermon right there. But I do want to go into some more um, good things that we can practice. Don't lead. I mean, don't follow your heart. Lead your heart to Jesus. Let Jesus lead your life. Unless, of course, you want to wreck your life. The second way to make sure that you will for sure commit adultery is believe lies. Believe lies about sex marriage, lust, intimacy, and just get all of your information from television and movies, and I'll tell you a really great source, women's magazines. <laughs> Especially the ones written for teenagers, those are, those are an excellent source of truth if you want to learn all about sex. Um, I mean, it's, it's amazing to me just the stuff that's on the covers of these magazines talks about, you know, how to keep your boyfriend satisfied. What are the what are the things that he's been dreaming of that you you can do for him? I mean, it absolutely blows my mind. Um, so, if you really want to make sure that you're believing some lies, then make sure that you are using TV, movies, magazines, your friends, whatever, as your source of truth and not the Bible. And don't even question those things. Just take them as, as a fact. Believe them because everybody else believes them, and you will be well on your way to committing adultery. Um, I'm just going to identify a few lies that we tend to believe about, about marriage, about sex. Um, the first lie, and this is big, and it seems like one of those that's just kind of like, well, duh, but, but we we believe this lie. Um, the first lie is we believe that adultery wouldn't wreck our lives. And, and that's why we do it. Right? I mean, 65% of husbands and 55% of wives wouldn't do it if they didn't believe that lie. So we first believe this wouldn't wreck our lives. This would be a good idea. This would be fun. And the reality is it will wreck your life. Proverbs 6, 27 through 29, and then verses 32 through 33. It says, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. These are God's words. He who commits adultery lacks sense he who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. So adultery 
according to God, is a decision to destroy yourself. The self-destruction. Um, so don't believe the lie that it will be good, that it won't wreck your life. Now some of you this morning, I understand, are post-adultery right now. What I don't want you to hear is that your life can't be redeemed by Jesus. What I don't want you to hear is that your life is done and ruined because God is the restorer of broken things. And I'm proof of that. I have, I have um, lived immorally. I have done the sex before marriage thing. I have gone down the wrong path. Okay? And I'm proof that God will restore. I'm not perfect. I'm just saying God restored my life. There's still wounds and scars from those wrong decisions, but God is restoring. And so if you're in your post-adultery right now, don't hear condemnation. That's not what I'm wanting to do. I'm wanting to send a warning to you if you are pre-adultery, but I want you to hear hope that if you are post-adultery, God can restore and will restore all who come to him. Um, the second lie that I want to address is that living together, living together, though you're not married, is one step closer to marriage. Um, cohabitating is on the rise. I mean, it is, it is a big trend right now. I have some statistics about cohabitation. Uh, 41% of women, 15 to 44, have cohabitated. At some point, they've shacked up with a guy that's not their husband. Um, and so 41%, that's a lot. But don't believe the lie that everybody's doing it because 41% means that 59% never will. So it, everybody's not doing it. Don't do it for that reason. Um, but it's definitely... It's definitely a trend that is on the rise. Cohabitation rose 72% between 1990 and 2000. That's just 10 years. 72%. Between 1960 and 2000, it, it multiplied tenfold. So this is something that's really fairly new, at least in, in our culture um, and the lie is, the myth is that if you live together and sleep together, then you will end up having a better marriage down the road. But the statistics tell us that you are more likely to get divorced if you live together first. And the statistics don't lie. Um, so, I, 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 have a few, I have a few theories as to why... Um, cohabitation is so much on the rise. I think one thing, one reason, a big reason, is because men aren't becoming men. Um, there is this massive increase in boys who can shave. They are anatomically adult males. But emotionally, spiritually, financially, they're boys. This is like rampant right now. Some of you ladies are nodding 
You're like, mm-hmm. Because you know, you've seen it. And, and, and this is a big reason why cohabitation is such a big deal right now. Is because, ladies, you're looking around for a guy to be your husband and to be a father to your children. And you're like, there ain't, there's nobody. You know, so I guess I'll have to settle for this guy who isn't willing to commit and who is afraid to, you know, be one with me for the rest of his life. That's, that's too much responsibility. So, so this is on the rise because we have this serious lack of, of men. I mean, 50 years ago, um, you, were, you were considered a man by the time you're 16, 17 years old, and you take all the responsibilities that comes with being an adult. And you don't just get the privileges of being adult without the responsibilities. But now, we've created this thing called adolescence. And adolescence is a time in your life where you get the privileges of being an adult without the responsibilities of being an adult. And now adolescence has extended. It used to stop at 18, and now it's gone up to like 30. And it's okay to live in your mom's basement and live off of her income until you're 30. And uh, this is a phenomenon that's so common that now we have entire movies and TV shows based on this. Some of you may have seen the movie Failure to Launch. Have a little clip. Funny. We had a wonderful first meeting. I see incredible potential here. So all systems are go. Based on the initial personality assessment, I think that I can have your son moved out of this house and living on his own by June 15th. <laughs> Hallelujah! Well, you know, you'd be amazed at how many adult children are still living at home. Now, it's my opinion that the root cause is a lack of self-esteem. Oh, Oprah talks about that all the time. Oprah don't know crap. Heck, when I was growing up, nobody had self-esteem, and we turned out fine. You're a rock, Al. You make me a better woman. Look, many young men who should be able to move out simply can't. It's called failure to launch, and that's where I come in. Young men develop self-esteem best during a romantic relationship, so I simulate one. We have a memorable meeting. We get to know each other over a few casual meals. He helps me through an emotional crisis. Then I meet his friends, if he has any. Uh, then I let him teach me something. But the bottom line is, he bonds with me. He lets go of you. He moves out. But how do you make sure that he'll fall in love with you? You look nice, you find out what they like, and then you pretend to like it too. That is pretty much how it works. <laughs> What about sex? Al, I never have sex with a client. Besides, I need to keep Trip motivated, and let's face it, after men have sex. <sighs> Is there anything that we need to do? Well, for starters, you could make life a little more difficult for him. You know, uh, more chores, more responsibilities, that kind of thing. I just think you should know that Trip has had some rough breaks. I promise you, when this is over, Trip is going to be an independent, self-sufficient adult. All right. <laughs> um, so this is definitely a... Uh, it's something that the entire culture has taken note of, and we've created movies based on this, and I think it's important to note that they all are comedies. 
Um, so, um, so that's that's a lie that that we that we believe. Another lie is that God wants me to be happy, and I can't be happy with the person I marry. And I've heard this one. I've heard this one. God wants me to be happy, and I can't be happy with the person I marry. Let me just clarify. God wants you to be with the person you marry. And I'll give an exception. With the exception of abuse, with the exception of abuse, God wants you to stay with the person that you are married to. Um, Now, the, the fact is that the grass is always greener on the other side. And when we live with someone for a while, you start to know that they are not perfect. And we tend to forget that neither are we. And they're having to put up with me. Right? But we start to look for something better. We start to look on the other side of things and we go, oh, I just can't be happy here and God wants me to be happy. That is not God's greatest concern. His, his greatest concern is that you have a relationship with himself. And then when you do that, yes, there is joy that will come out of that. But he does not want you to leave your marriage. I don't know how to make that any, any clearer. He does not want you to leave your marriage. Um, here's another lie that I can't stand. I can't help who I fall in love with. I hate that lie. I hate that lie. That's so, that's, that's crap. The fact is, you don't fall in love. You fall in lust, maybe. You don't fall into love. Love is a decision to put someone else above yourself. You don't fall into love. You can help this. So if you, this is where the whole, you, you, you combine follow your heart with, you know, I can't help who I fall in love with, and you got an affair. Boom. I mean, that's just like, that's a recipe for disaster. And so here's the deal. If you believe that you can't help who you fall in love with, you're a victim of your own emotions, you're a victim of your own heart, you're letting your heart steer you, you're just being carried along, and you might wind up in another relationship, and that relationship might fail. You just, you just, who knows? In the end, it's your heart that's to blame. You were just following your heart. And movies are made about this too. But it's just not true. Another lie is that lust isn't a big deal. That along with that, pornography isn't a big deal. It is. It is a big deal because, as I mentioned earlier, Jesus said that when you lust in your heart, it's like committing adultery. You know that the average age of first exposure to pornography is 11. That's the average. So, a lot of times it's happening a lot younger. Many of you have young kids, and you need to be aware of this. You need to put guards up, and you need to talk to them about it. Just talk to them about it. If you don't, then they're automatically going to, they're automatically going to move into this area of shame and secrecy. Right? And then that's going to lead to, down the road, 
addiction. So just be, be real honest with your kids about this. Their friends are looking at it and talking about it. and So you need to be really up front with them about that. The largest consumer of internet pornography is boys ages 12 to 17. 12 to 17. It's a real problem. That we need to be aware of and we need to realize lust leads us to the physical act. As a man thinks, the Bible says, so is he. Thoughts become actions. The Bible says to take every thought captive, make it obedient to Christ. The thought comes into your mind, you don't have to sit there and dwell on it and run it through your head over and over again. Take it captive, make it obedient to Christ. Go to the Word, see what God says about things, quote Scripture. All right, on to the third thing that you can do to make sure you eventually commit adultery. Um, believe that you would never commit adultery. If you believe that, then you are one step closer to doing it. Um, so if, if you want to um, make sure that you're going down the road toward adultery, then believe that you wouldn't do it. Let your guard down. Don't put up any boundaries. Don't worry about who you hang out with and where you hang out with them. It won't happen to you. And if you start thinking that way, you are walking down the path toward adultery. The reality is that none of us are above any temptation to sin. And we've got to remember that or else we will let our guard down and we will, we will find ourselves in trouble. 1 Corinthians 10.12 says, So if you think you are standing firm... Be careful that you don't fall. As soon as you think you're standing firm, your feet will slip right out from under you. That's what the Bible says. Don't think that you are above any temptation to sin. You think that you're standing firm, you would never cross that line, so what you start doing is you start flirting with the line. You start getting a little closer to it. You're not afraid to get near the line because you wouldn't cross that line. You wouldn't do that. And the next thing you know, you've crossed the line. You see, it never happens quickly. It's always a little step, followed by a little step, followed by a little step. You know, maybe it starts out with you're watching a show on TV that, uh, that glorifies extramarital sex and you maybe you're watching a show and like there's a married couple but there's like this their marriage isn't going real well and and so somebody meets somebody and you're rooting for them to get together i found myself there i've fallen for the trap i've watched the movies and i've been like wait a second i'm like rooting for adultery to happen we have to be careful what we feed ourselves, what we're putting into our heads. We, we, we get comfortable with a show like that, little step. Then, you know, maybe uh, one morning you wake up and you decide you're not satisfied in your marriage. And it's not a sin to be dissatisfied, you know. It, I mean, I can't help that I'm not satisfied in my marriage. I can't help that my spouse 
isn't meeting my needs. So I'm just going to accept this feeling, little step. And then, you know, one day you're at work and you're hanging out with somebody of the opposite sex and you guys are really having fun and hitting it off. And, and it's not a sin to have fun with somebody. And it's not a big deal if we just enjoy each other's company and go and get in coffee is not a big deal. Little step. And then, you know, you start to think about that person all the time. Maybe um, while you're hanging out with your spouse, you're thinking about the person at work. And you're okay with that because, you know, you can't help who you fall in love with. Little step. And before you know it, you've crossed the line and you don't even know how you got there. And it was a bunch of very little steps. And so... We have to believe it can happen to us or else we won't put up any boundaries. We won't put up any guards and we'll find ourselves in the situation and we won't even know how it happened. Um, it says in Romans thirteen fourteen, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So your flesh Wants to sin. Don't provide opportunity for it. Don't provide opportunity for it. So, um, here's a few boundaries that we could set for ourselves. If you're taking notes, you can jot these down. Number one, um, keep growing in your relationship with Christ. I mean, that's number one. If you keep growing in your relationship with Christ, then He can be leading you. Number two, never be alone with the wrong person, ever. And just don't make exceptions. Don't ever make an exception. Number three, never talk badly about your marriage with the wrong people. If it's, and, I'll, and I'll just go ahead and tell you, if it's not a counselor or like a really close family member, it's, it's the wrong person. Surround yourself with strong marriages. Encouraging marriages, marriages that are flourishing. Number five, avoid inappropriate places and situations. No exceptions, just avoid them. If it's inappropriate, avoid it like the plague. If you set these boundaries up, then they will protect you. They will keep you from ruining your marriage from wrecking your life. All right. The fourth way to ensure that you will be committing adultery in no time is neglect your marriage. Your marriage is like a machine. It's like a car. If you don't take care of it, if you don't work on it, if you neglect it, eventually the engine's going to explode. Wheels are going to fall off. You've got to work on it. You've got to maintain it. So if you want to make sure that you end up in an adulterous relationship, then neglect it. Don't fight for your marriage. Don't worry about it. Go along, float, and see what happens. And just, just think that it'll be fine. The reality is God wants us to fight for our marriages. He hates divorce. He doesn't want us to ever divorce. 
Mark 10, 9 says, What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So, how do you fight for your marriage? A few ideas. Get transparent. Communicate. Yes, guys, ask her how she feels about things. Ask her and tell her what you're feeling. Communicate. Number two, get alone. That means go on dates. Get a babysitter. And do mini dates, too. You can do those, you know, if you've got little kids, put the kids to bed early. And you have a little glass of wine and pop some popcorn. You, put, you can do mini dates. They're great. They are great. Get alone. The third thing, get spiritual. Pray together. Jesus has got to be at the center of your relationship. So pray together every night. Read the Bible together. Study things together. Read a book together. Get spiritual. Uh, get help. If your marriage is falling apart, if it's really struggling, if it seems that it's at the, you know, at, at its end, then talk to someone. Talk to a counselor. Talk to a spiritual leader. And the last one, shouldn't need to convince anybody to do this, but get intimate. That's good for your marriage. It's really good for your marriage, and it turns out it's just good. Um, All right, the fifth way to make sure that you end up committing adultery is become captivated, intoxicated, infatuated with another man or woman. Um, If you've already followed the first four steps, then this is just the nail in the coffin. Become infatuated with someone. Let your mind wander. Think about them all the time. If you find this person interesting and funny, then that's a good start. But now you need to let your mind wander. Maybe you can find common interests and you can hang out together for some reason. Proverbs 5.20 says, Why should you be intoxicated or infatuated, my son, with a forbidden woman? And embrace the bosom of an adulteress. Do you want to know why the person that you're not married to is tempting to you? It's right here. The key is right here. It's because they're forbidden. It is the very forbiddenness of that person that makes them tempting. Why? Because our hearts are evil. And we lust. And lust is the desire for what is forbidden. I love this statistic. Check this out. Only 3% of people end up marrying the person that they have an affair, they commit adultery with. Only 3%. Only 3%. And most of the time they believe, this is the one. I didn't marry my soulmate. This is my soulmate. And so they go down that road. And then what happens is, once you have the person, they're no longer forbidden. 
And lust, in order for lust to be lust, it has to be fixated on something forbidden. So your lust moves on to somebody else. And you go, why isn't this person interesting anymore? Fascinating. And so, well, this person. And that's the way lust is. That's the nature of lust. That's how our hearts, the, the sin in our hearts works. So, if you want to make sure that you commit adultery, then become infatuated with somebody that you're not married to. Become captivated by them. Proverbs 5, 3 through 5 says, For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she's as bitter as wormwood, which is some bitter stuff. Sharp as a two-edged sword, her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol, to the grave. You'll notice that in all these Proverbs, it's, talk, it's addressing a guy. And the reason is because these were written by King, Sol, or, yeah, by King Solomon to his son. And that's the reason that they're worded that way. But the advice goes for ladies as well. Lust, remember, is the desire for what you are forbidden from having. And if you tell yourself in that moment, the reason I'm attracted this way, the reason I'm drawn to this person is because they're forbidden. It, it, it starts to like kind of lift the fog and, and you go, you know, you know what? This is, this is just my sinful heart. So, in conclusion, in conclusion, Let's remember what we said earlier, that he who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. Adultery is a sure way that we can wreck our lives. Let me just plead with you that if you've believed the lies that we've talked about, if you are, maybe you're, even right now in the process of becoming more infatuated with someone or you're going down that road, let me plead with you. Take your sin to Jesus and hand it to Him. He's so merciful. He is so gracious. He died for our sins. He will not look at you condemningly he will take your sin and he will give you his righteousness. Isn't that an incredible trade? Our sin for his righteousness. And then let him lead you. Let him direct you. Commit your ways to him. Trust in him. If you let him lead you, then you won't wreck your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you um, for your word. I thank you for keeping everyone awake for a long message. Um, but God, these are important things. These, these, are, these are very crucial things for us to, uh, to hear. And, and if we don't talk about them here, then we will inevitably believe whatever the world tells us. We thank you for 
the fact that you've given us a church community to be a part of, a church family to be a part of, where we can be encouraged, where we can be challenged, where our sin can be confronted, where we can be turned toward you. Um, God, I pray for marriages in this room and future marriages. Lord, that you would strengthen and sustain them, that you would help people to put you at the center, Lord, of their marriage, and, um, and to go to your word for truth and not believe the lies that the world tells us. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.